0: Welcome to In The Thick Of It, Profit and Losses Weekly Podcast with me, Colin Lambert, Managing Editor of p Um This week I'm going to be joined uh, by someone to talk regulation, always one of my favourite topics. Um, before we do that, we'll have a quick look at the week that was. Interesting one, I suppose, in many ways, because uh, the Australian dollar hit its lowest in 11 years, which you know, pretty much takes us back to when we thought the financial world was going to end in 2009, after post-GFC. Um, I do think it's more a question of dollar strength than you know, US dollar strength. Than Particular Aussie weakness. I mean, obviously, if you look at sterling, it's a, a lot, lot weaker overall than the Aussie can ever be. Um, so there is an element of that, but yeah, that got a few people's tongues wagging because at the same time, yeah, I mean, I think euro had a 70 point range in a week, which is probably mind blowing for most of the euro dollar traders out there at the moment. But at the same time, um, Bitcoin steadfastly refused to move once again. Um, just hanging around that nine and a half thousand dollar mark. I wonder whether the, what seems to be a, um, a growing lack of, if that's not an oxymoron, a growing lack of volatility in uh, Bitcoin um, reflects the fact that maybe the argument that was had in crypto world um, probably two years ago and, and ever since about whether it's about the, tech, the underlying technology or the trading asset may be being settled here. It could be that everyone's saying, actually, you know what, Bitcoin can just exist and people can play around with it as they like, but it's really the technology that we're interested in. Um it could be one for my guests later on. We'll have you'll have to wait and see. Also on the digital side of the world, I mean Sweden started to um test a digital currency. Um so obviously the Riksbank has been talking this project up for quite some time. Um there was a lot of buzz around when people said, Oh, you know, China might be the first to have a have its own central bank digital currency. Um probably the Riksbank has always been the leader in this field. Uh, it will be interesting what it comes up with, as I've said before on this podcast and uh um, Profit Loss Conferences. I live in a digital world anyway. That sounds incredibly um, pompous of me, but I can't remember the last time I used cash. And in many ways, that is a you know, tap, go, and away, and away you are. Um, it's the settlement aspect of cross-currency transactions. I totally get that. But, um, yeah, I wonder how exactly how much of a revolution this will be the you know, central bank digital currencies will be um, again related on, on that thing and again maybe something for my guest on this week's podcast um, the financial standards board chair Randall Qualls um, walnut regulators are behind the curve when it comes to um, imposing rules in the cryptocurrency market now obviously this will come as great news to anybody in the crypto market because um, I think you know the the originators of crypto, should we say um very much were about hand you know hand it to the man to use a good old sixties expression um and the fact that you know crypto is meant to be you know cross border without rules um you know within without official rules um this i guess is uh, what one, you know one of the initial dreams of crypto, whether they'll be able to um realise that dream I very much doubt it given you know the aid of central banks looking at digital currencies and secondly um, the fact that you've got senior regulators now saying we need to up our ante on this and put some serious rules in Um, could be interesting whether it will work who knows I mean I think it was a week ago that the medical authorities tried to um, change coronavirus to COVID-19 Absolute failure. Everyone's still talking coronavirus, probably because of all the memes that can be sent around on the internet, of course. Um, and we all know those, those ones. Um, but, you know, it is difficult changing people's mindsets. And I wonder how well the regulators will go in managing to establish some sort of rules around, um, cryptocurrency trading because, if ever there's an asset class that can move to the lowest common denominator in terms of regulation it strikes me as being um crypto, you know well, bitcoin certainly and you know other cryptocurrencies that can be uh that can be created so one to watch there the i guess my final observation from this week came out this has been recorded friday um in the U S time is the coalition group that look at uh, employment trends and so on in um, investment banking. They put out um, their 2019 report and front office jobs were at their lowest since they started actually tracking this. It was only 2012. We shouldn't get too carried away. Um, And obviously the banks made a lot of, (coughs) excuse me, made a lot of cuts around 2010 and nine ten post, immediately post GFC, but it does sort of maybe hint that automation is finally starting to bite in front office ranks. Um, it does concern me a little bit because I think there's a there's concerns there that you know we end up with a world where there isn't um, you know a voice or somebody used to handling risk who is able to step in. And, yeah, when things go wrong, because, you know, it's pretty clear to me talking to people in the EFX game that regulators now turn around and say, well, look, you know, if markets are going crazy, they'll, they'll turn around to the price and say, turn your price engines off. And that's quite a heavy risk. I mean, it's effectively trying to put a circuit breaker in, of course, um, it, which it might do. But, I, you know, I think, you know, events have proven in the sterling flash crash and the SMB that it won't work. Um, The markets will still trade somehow. But if we don't have that human capsule, in terms of someone who's experienced at taking risk, then it becomes a a bit of a challenge. My instinct is, and I haven't read the report fully because it literally came out about um, a couple of hours ago, but my instinct could be that this would be the sales function that is suffering a bit here um, because obviously, you know, there is more based around data when it comes to the relationship between um, service provider and and customer and there is a lot more automation. The advice level is still done at I guess strategy desk level when it comes to advising on structures Um, and and the structure in business is a pretty small part of what we do. So a little bit of concern there, we have been through dips before. I used to find it very um, sort of eyebrow raising that every year, you know, a big investment bank will say, oh, we're cutting 10,000 jobs and the stock price will go up. And then you go around and look at their staff numbers 18 months later and guess what? It's higher than it was. So they just change where they hire. So it could be this is part of a shift. Um, Certainly, I remember talking to someone just two weeks ago who said that they lost somebody very senior in terms of um, business management and and relationship management, Um, and they were replaced by two junior data scientists. Um, We know data is becoming a big part of the world, and we do need people to analyse it, absolutely. Um, So it could just be that there's a shift. Um, I guess the other thing I would observe is that uh, it depends where you put your market surveillance and compliance people. I guess that's middle office. I'm sure if they did a middle office survey, um, they would find that there'd be quite a lot of jobs been added over the past few years. There was a very famous story in London of a bank who built a building and they were going to host their brand new, spanking new trading room in that building. And, um, before they could move the trading, before they could even build the trading desks, the whole building was taken up by, you guessed it, compliance. So, compliance is the future. Um, which is probably a good link into my guest. So, we'll be back just shortly with Matt Corkin, partner of Stepso and former director of the CFTC's Division of Swap Intermediary Oversight. Did you know that if you sign up before February 14, you can subscribe to Profit and Loss for just £130 sterling for a whole 12 months? That's a huge 30% discount on our regular subscription rate. Or pay just £230 for two years. Go to profit-loss.com plans and sign up today or
1: email info at profit-loss.com for more information to ensure that you never miss out on the latest FX news.
0: So I've been joined by uh, Matt Culkin, partner at uh, Steptoe and co-chair of Steptoe's financial services group. Uh, Matt was also formerly um, director of the division of swap dealer and intermediary oversight at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. CFTC to everybody on this podcast, um, which again for the second week running means I'm totally outclassed by my guest. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Ah,
1: <laughs> uh, thank you, thank you for having me. <laughs> um,
0: it's interesting. I mean, the last couple of months is, I mean, the CFTC has been quite busy, and I remember um, listening to you on a panel in Chicago, p l Chicago, a couple of years ago, um, talking about sort of you know, the regulatory agenda. Is there some sort of cycle to understanding? How you know regulate the CFTC goes about its business?
1: Uh, that that so that's a great question. Uh, it, it sort of depends, uh, as a good lawyer would always answer. It always depends, but <laughs> in in this case, you've got a, a new chairman, uh, Heath Tarbert, who took office in July of 2019, and yep. so the natural dynamics are that he has about 16 months until there's a presidential election. And so there's there's a natural rush to try and get as much done as quickly as possible. And here in the states, we have uh, something called the Congressional Review Act that would allow Congress in 2021 to assert its wisdom and look back at some of the activity at the end of 2020. And if they don't like it, they can uh, invalidate those rules. So so there's some legitimate pressure to move quickly on you know the Volcker Rule swap dealer capital. Business conduct standards, uh, CEF reform, trade reporting—they've—they've they've been very busy, and for good reason. They're trying to get things done yeah. under the under the calendar.
0: Mm. So <clears throat> we can expect this to continue for a little while.
1: Yeah, I think so. the way The way I think about this year is that they've kind of got the first half of the year to to do as much as they can from a regulatory policy perspective, as many rulemakings as possible. And then at the second half of the year, as as we inch closer towards a presidential election, I think you'll see a lot more sort of soft activity. You'll see the commission's advisory committees hold a lot of meetings. You'll see a lot of advisory committee reports get issued about climate market risk, about uncleared margin implementation. And those will all be done with an eye towards 2021, regardless of who, occupies the white house you'll see the commissioners and market participants the same either playing defense to protect the progress they've made the last four years or they'll be playing offense to try and make their issue the priority going into the new administration
0: okay interesting nice to know that everybody's got a cycle to go to go through
1: not just every, <laughs> not just
0: trading market traded markets um something i want to talk to you about and we, we, we've got quite a i've got quite a full set of questions for you unfortunately for you um Last week, um, as people are listening to this, the cFTC unanimously approved um, some proposed rules to revise its regulations for swap data reporting um including dissemination and the public reporting requirements um, It's something I've argued for quite some time that it's quite important that um, you know we don't expose orders during execution by having them published to an SDR too early. Um, can you just sort of run us through the sort of the the key elements of the proposed new rules?
1: Yeah. So this is a this is a big deal. Um, the commission yeah. and the staff should really be quite pleased with with the amount of work that they've been able to complete. This has been going on for years. So the commission, yeah. the CFTC, was was the first regulator out of the gate to set up a tr- uh, tr- post-trade reporting and public dissemination regime, and they were they were literally years ahead of the SEC and their peers in other countries. And so as a result, uh, they were the first to set data fields, trade report fields for different trades. They were the first to set up the appropriate timeline for public dissemination after, after execution. And so what we've seen over the last few years through uh, international regulatory forums like CPMMI, OSCO, uh, but also individual jurisdictions adopting their rules, is that um these these regulations in particular needed to be revised, streamlined, harmonized, and, re- and maybe right-sized is, is a good way to describe it. So yeah. um, at the CFTC, there have been staff crunching on this for five years. Right? They they issued something several years ago called the Path Forward that was focused specifically on improving swap data. Um, and so what we saw yes uh, last week was a, a proposal to amend uh, three different sets of rules. The first dealing with real-time reporting for public dissemination, the second for regulatory reporting to a trade repository, and then the third dealing with trade repository registration and regulation, the, the warehouse itself. And you know, at, at a very high level, what we saw were, were a couple things that I, I found notable. Uh, One, the commission is going to – and remember, these are proposals out for public comment, so we're not at the final rule stage yet. But they're proposing to increase a lot of the block trade sizes so that there are less block trades, regardless of the asset class. And at the same time, they're proposing a 48-hour delay – on the dissemination of those block trades. So market participants won't know about those trades for two days, which allows the participant entering into the trade to have time to, to enter into any offsetting, offsetting positions that they need yeah. to, to to take. It
0: makes all the sense in the world to me because, you know, in a world where liquidity is not available in block, blocks the way it used to be across markets, as they become more electronified and more fragmented, then inevitably it's going to take longer to execute larger chunks of risk.
1: That's right. And and as you can imagine, you know, now that we're having a a, a debate about a specific period of time, the five commissioners all seem to, while they all voted in favor of the proposal, they all have different opinions about what the appropriate delay should be. Should it be 15 minutes? Should it be an hour, 24 hours, 48 hours? The SEC um, has a 24-hour delay. And so, uh, again, we'll have to wait and see what the comments say to to ultimately figure out what the Commission will do, but they've they've made a, a pretty notable shift in this regard to to now have mm. a, a much longer period. Yeah. The um how co- often sorry, carry kind
0: of on. Go ahead. Uh, I was saying, how often do these proposals get rolled back, if ever? Or is it just a question that after the comment period they might be nuanced rather than you know, has it ever been that, you know, a proposed rule has actually not hit the statute books?
1: Yeah, that's quite common. That's quite common. Okay. So when I when I was when I was the division director of DSIO, we we put out a proposal related to swap dealer registration. You know, what should the threshold be? Which ultimately landed at eight billion dollars, mm-hmm. but also should NDFs be excluded? Should platform executed trades not count towards the threshold? And a few other pieces, and we ultimately only moved forward at the time with the eight billion dollar codification. And left the other four or five pieces to the side. Six months later, we we were able to adopt a second piece related to swaps entered into in connection with a loan, but the other pieces were proposed and never adopted. Um, okay. So it's it's not it's not uncommon. Uh, I think in the trade reporting space there is a real need for for these changes. So I would expect, and it, and it's also not a politically hot topic in the sense that Democrats or Republicans. Have a have a hard opinion on trade reporting. I think everyone agrees the data needs to be improved, and so there's there's general support for this initiative.
0: Okay. Yes. It's, it's pretty niche for a politician looking at election, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't pull well back in the no, in the, exactly, in the yeah. district.
0: <clears throat> yes. My yeah. Your voters then, huh? <laughs> yeah. When you bring it up, yeah. I mean, how important is it then? So the improvements in data to CFTC in terms of how the CFTC will function, because they were announced yesterday as well, or oh, last week, sorry, as well.
1: Yeah, I think this is really important both for sort of the external market perspective, but also internally at the Commission. The CFTC does a fair <laughs> amount of systemic risk oversight, counterparty oversight, um, and 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 even some of the regulatory policy proposals. They're based on the data before them. And so whether you're looking at uncleared uh, swap positions between two counterparties or looking at CCP risk, um, it's really important that the commission has the right information. And, uh, you know, this information is used by other institutions in the United States, the corresponding trade repositories around the world, we'll try to harmonize as well, which will impact their home jurisdictions. So getting the data right is really, it's really an important fundamental. Mm.
0: Yeah, and, and I guess obviously if you've, it will make that sort of cross-border cooperation a bit easier if the relevant authorities around the world are looking at the same data.
1: That's right, that's right. And even, even yeah. domestically, you could imagine the SEC is getting single name CDS in a certain format and broad indice CDS at the CFTC, if it looks totally different, it makes it really hard to have an accurate picture of, of what's going on out there.
0: Mm. Yeah. Because, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I tend to look at these things and say, I'm not sure why we need to worry about having everything within 15 minutes anyway, because if something goes horribly wrong, then it's more important to have the data, the accurate data, to be able to work out exactly what happened. Because, you know, with all the best will in the world, we're not going to make markets absolutely safe. There will always be some sort of accident waiting to happen. And I tend to look at it and say it's the regulator's job then to actually work out what went on, as they did you know, post-GFC, post-flash crash, and so on. Um, and then, um, I guess, effectively um, adjust their thinking to that, or at least let people know how it happened. They can only do that with, with good, solid data.
1: Yeah, that's right. I, I think yeah. the the rub here will be uh, what the comments say from other market participants. Right? How 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 important is the block trade information to dealer banks, uh, large hedge funds, asset managers who trade in size? You know, can they can they really have accurate pricing if the the quote unquote tape is is two days old? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, a, it's an interesting
0: balance, isn't it? Because, you know, you've got to protect the people. You've got to protect that end user who's actually trying to hedge a large amount of risk and needs time to do it. And you've got to provide enough um, immediate and good information for the regulators to be able to do something about it if something goes wrong. It's quite complex, yeah. isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, not, not yeah. to get ahead not of that. ourselves. But, you know, 15 <laughs> minutes might have been too hot. 48 hours might be too cold. And maybe 24 hours is just right. mm
0: Yeah. 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 yeah be interesting to see what they come up with in that one. I mean, is this part of a wider... I mean, it seems, you know, we, we had a lot of chat around the Volcker rule. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned the um, the thresholds. There, there seems to have been a trend to sort of rethink some of the rules that were put in place 10 years ago post-GFC. Is that the right observation for me to make, or am I sort of just missing the point there? Because it strikes me there's been a lot of debate, a lot of nuancing of these rules. Are we on part of a regulatory rollback? Um, period.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a good observation. Um, it's it's been ten years since Dodd Frank was adopted. It's yeah. been seven, eight, nine years since a lot of the rules were written, and I think even the authors of the rules would admit they were written pretty quickly yeah. without a lot of, without a lot of data. And mm-hmm. it's it's natural for those rules to be reviewed and reconsidered when when you have more experience and, and more information. So I had I was lucky enough to serve for Chairman Chris Giancarlo, and he had an an initiative called Project KISS, the Keep It Simple Stupid initiative. And well, it had a great name, but also it was it was a great exercise. And so we, yeah. you know, Chairman Giancarlo came in and was very clear he he wasn't approaching the job with the intent of dismantling Dodd Frank, but but rather trying to to make it better. And so mm. uh, I think I think. I think he and, and I and our, and our team were very proud of some of the tweaks and amendments we were able to make, but there's certainly a lot more to be done, and trade reporting is a yeah. perfect example.
0: Yeah. I mean, so are we, I mean, is this sort of a window into what we can expect from the CFTC going forward? Um, you know, it's likely to be around, the, you know, the, the, the the future path of work will be around the sort of nuancing of the existing rules.
1: I think that's true for the next 10 months. After that, okay. it's really hard to say because we don't know who will be the president. We don't know who will be the chairman. And we could find ourselves in a very different trajectory.
0: Okay. Right. What we'll do here, Matt, we'll put a plug in for Stepto's, um forecasting and CFTC's 2020 agenda. Oh, that's that, great. Uh, you, that, you guys, that you guys put out um, not that long ago, actually, was it? I don't think. Yeah, you, and you've got a webinar coming up on that one, haven't you as well? Yeah, okay, that's right. Um, the link to that, listeners can find that link on the uh, on the website. I wanted to move on to one other thing. Obviously, while you were um, while we're talking, sort of CFTC agendas and so on. Um, what's your sense in where we are in transitioning to risk-free rates, you know, away from you know, LIBOR and the other IBORs? Um, Because it strikes me the the noise levels from regulators have definitely has definitely been ramped up this year. What's your sense in where we stand there?
1: Yeah, I think I think there's still a lot of work to be done from a regulatory perspective. I can I can speak to the CFTC approach where really the the guiding principle is to provide as much clarity and certainty and a smooth transition as possible and I I jokingly refer to LIBOR transition and Brexit as sort of act of god initiatives where the CFTC has an important role but it's it's not really the driving force behind the thing. And in both of those cases, the the commission has uh, gone to great lengths either through rulemaking or interpretive guidance or no action to try and encourage market participants to to take steps now to ensure a smooth transition where necessary the commission has tried to answer questions or build the bridge. So that the CFTC's piece isn't the source of any market dislocation, but you know, as we get closer to next year, I think there will probably be more specific measures that are needed, right? But but mm-hmm. it'll still be the CFTC, at least in the U.S., working with with the Fed, working with bank regulators, working with the SEC, and certainly their counterparts, right, in in the UK and Europe and around the world, because this is this is a global phenomenon. It's it's not unique to. Yeah. Swaps markets, or even American swaps markets.
0: No, I, I, I guess there's the concern of some participants here is that, um, particularly if you look at places like Asia, there Asia seems to be waiting for the U.S. and, and Europe, including the UK, temporarily, um, to uh, to to get there to come up with their sort of framework and, and establish their framework for it. I guess a concern that might be had is that. If it takes too long in the u s and u k and Europe to actually e u to get these get this transition done, mm-hmm. will Asia have enough time to actually put the, the measures in place so it strikes me from what you're saying there it's quite important that they have this global coordination
1: yeah i think that's I think that's right, and you know the alternative reference rate committee has done a lot of work to bring issues to the regulators so that they're even just aware of what needs to be handled um yeah. and certainly uh, this is my experience with uncleared margin. It's, it's certainly the American regulators who play a pretty forceful role in developing a global policy. So I, I think that'll continue. Okay. Yep.
0: Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I've eyeball transition. Yeah. Who knows? Um it strikes me that there is, there isn't going to be no role sort of extension given on this, the way there may have been previously.
1: Well, but that's the, that, you know, Colin, that's what people said about phase five margin implementation that there would never be a delay. And then there was. Certainly people people need a, right people need deadlines. And it, it yep. forces it forces it forces market participants and regulators to focus. Um but never say never. No
0: <laughs> No I just realized that's another one of my great predictions on this podcast that probably will come back to haunt me. Um it's <laughs> the way it goes. Um Matt, I wanted to talk to you about something that's really been on the back burner for a couple of years, actually, and that's Reg AT. Where do we stand on Reg AT? I mean, the last time I really looked at it, um, there was this thing about, you know, well, um, dealers might have to give up their source code to the CFTC, um, another regulator, regulator, and obviously there was a lot of pushback on it. Um, Has that issue died, or is it still bubbling along?
1: It's still breathing. It's... um... It's It's been on hold for, for almost – for over three years now. So the last we heard about Reg A.T. was, was back in November 2016, and that's when uh, mm. the CFTC under Chairman Tim Massad put out a, a, a proposal for comment. Um, and that was the proposal that had the source code provision in it, which would have allowed regulatory staff to get access to sort of the secret sauce. Um yeah. you may recall at the time uh commissioner Brian Quintens he made the statement that the that the source code provision is dead and uh mm. I, I think he's probably right as it relates to specifically the source code provision uh I just I think the comments that that came in made it pretty clear that that yeah. was not going to be well received but you know, Chairman Tarbert uh, said during his confirmation hearing that the Reg AT pr- proposal broadly was something that, that he'd be interested in, in reviving. And so we may see some sort of proposal that would be a much lighter touch than what Chairman Massad had put forward that, that yeah. deals with automated trading. And again, some of this deals with, with politics and uh, election calendars, that if Chairman Tarbert's able to put out a proposal it means the next administration in 2021, which might be Chairman Tarbert, it might be another Republican, or it might be a Democrat. Mm. Um, if they were to take up Reg A.T., they would have to start from the last word, which would be a, a Chairman Tarbert-led proposal.
0: Oh, okay. So, so there's a good chance he could set the agenda at the very least in terms That's of right. where That's we go right. with this. Yeah. I mean, it'd be inter- it's interesting to me because I look at it and think, I, I understand totally why firms... Uh, unhappy to have to deliver their source code. Um, yeah, no. you know, people change jobs. Um, you know, we don't know exactly how safe some of the repositories of this data are in terms of hacking and so on. Um, but it also strikes me that it will be a good thing if the regulators with the appropriate, you know, having gone through the appropriate procedures can have access to it in specific circumstances. Is that, is that something we might see around, around that? Yeah. You know, so look, you know, you're, we've looked at our market data from our you know, new swap data reporting regime um and we've seen a lot of the trades there with your id on it we need mm-hmm. to look at your algos and, and what they did is it is it likely to look at something like that
1: probably not i mean remember remember okay. that the it's a federal agency and if they are yeah. able to obtain a subpoena they're already allowed right now to go in and ask for a specific intellectual property but that's, okay. a, that's a that's a that's a a big difference from a CFTC staffer on a whim asking for yeah. certain intellectual property.
0: <laughs> Just one week before he leaves to go to a hedge fund.
1: <laughs> well, no, I mean it's it's not uncommon in in the states yeah. for for folks to go into public service and then leave for private sector.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh no, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's um, I mean, it's. it's, it's I guess in a world that's even more electronically driven to, around markets, it becomes even more important that the you know this source code is protected. So I, I totally get that. OK, um, so to close out then, Matt, um, another thing that you were looking at when you were at CFTC and you continue to look at Steptoe is the crypto markets. Mm-hmm. now in in my introduction to this podcast i've mentioned the fact that bitcoin ap- appears to have given up moving um it's you know <laughs> it's the most stagnant um <laughs> currency quote unquote in the world at the moment it seems everything else is kicking off around there it, and it's just sitting there at nine and a half thousand but where do we stand because uh, i also know this week um another thing i mentioned in the intro i wanted to to just get your thoughts on is randall Quarles, who's chair oh. of the Financial Stability Board mentioned that regulators are behind, are in danger of falling behind the curve when it comes to regulating the cryptocurrency markets. Um, what's your sense of where we stand in terms of the crypto market structure and any sort of you know oversight we might get of it?
1: Yeah, well, I look forward to to uh, listening to this podcast again in a few months to see if your your proclamation about Bitcoin stability r- remains true. <laughs>
0: You and a lot of others, mate. You and a lot of others.
1: <laughs> well, so so I was at I was at the CFTC during the introduction of of the both cash settled but also physically settled uh, Bitcoin futures contracts. So you can imagine, and yeah. Chairman Giancarlo, aka Crypto Dad, um, right? We we spent a lot of time on these issues, and it, and it was really fascinating to look at it from the the regulator's perspective. Um, yeah. So I, I think look, you're going to see a lot. This is going to continue to move. It's going to evolve. We're going to see market participants come in with new widgets. We're going to see new service providers, new technologies. So the, the, the virtual currency itself may stay the same. Maybe there's an expansion to other types. But I think the market will continue to evolve, which, which as uh, Chairman Quarles observed, means the regulator's got to keep up. And that's, that's yeah. a challenge you know we'll have to wait and see i, I from my experience you know what, whatever whatever i thought i was going to take on at the commission when i entered uh, i i couldn't have been more wrong because these are things that we never know what's going to hit next uh, you know it's it's been yeah. interesting chairman tarbert has has said that the sec sort of needs to take the first crack at making that initial threshold determination as to whether or not a digital asset is a security um, and then the CFTC can take a look at it and decide whether or not it's a commodity. But So, so I think, look, the SEC and the CFTC work really closely together, and I expect that'll, that won't change. Um, mm. But market participants are trying to figure out, you know, is their coin a security? Is it a commodity? Um, do they need to worry about what's called actual delivery for transferring tokens into wallets? And there, there are a lot of thorny legal questions out there.
0: So is it, I mean, it's, that strikes me as, so what we're looking for there is kind of a, a definitive legal decision on whether it's, whether it's commodity or security or so on. Um, is it also a question though? you've got to, the, the authorities have to have the right framework in place to be able to study these markets in depth? I mean, do they have the resources positioned now for when that determination finally comes?
1: I think I think they have the resources in terms of the human capital. They certainly have smart, dedicated, hardworking people. But but what the regulators are good at, or it's their practice, right? They're they're looking for, to protect customers, market integrity. They're really good at telling uh, certain participants that no, you can't do that. And we see that the output of it is an enforcement case, and we see people get get fined uh, or prohibited from a certain practice. So you can learn from from someone else's experience that no, you can't do that, but it doesn't necess—that's not the same. It doesn't give the same certainty as knowing that yes, you can do something else. And so yeah. we have to we have to kind of track the prohibited practices and make the, and accumulate them together. But that's not quite the same from a certainty standpoint as knowing that these practices are in fact permitted. And that's that's mm-hmm. the challenge. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> the word certainty, um, legal system, and regulation. I'm not convinced <laughs> they'll ever be in the same sentence, <laughs> but we'll see. We will see. Um, Matt, that was fascinating, and we, we covered a heck of a lot of ground there, I have to say. Um, thank you very much for joining the podcast, and hopefully we can have you back on at some stage soon um, to talk more things around the regulatory world. Um, To our listeners, thanks very much for listening. We'll be back next week. Um, In the meantime, have a very good week. And Matt, thank you once again.
1: Thanks, Colin. Look forward to seeing you in Washington soon.
0: Yes, be nice.